We started this morning, which seems a long time ago, thinking about wealth as being a trial. It's, it's, a, it's a test. It's something to persevere in. It's something to, you know, when money comes, it's something that, that is a test for us. It's a, a challenge for, for our faith. We thought in the second session about treating people with mercy. That is seeing people's need and being moved by need and acting in response to it. What I want to do in this third session is talk about justice. And I realize that justice might sound a little bit like the second one, but I want to suggest it's slightly different. Um, mercy is being moved by someone's need. Justice is doing what is right. Being committed to doing what is right. I have a confession to make. Um, I once broke a wedding, a, a plate that had been given to my mum and dad as a wedding present. It was one of those awful moments. In fact, it wasn't a plate. It was one of those three plates with a stick down the middle. What do you put? Cake stand. That's exactly what it was. It was a cake stand. And uh, it honestly, I just was holding it and it snapped. And um, what I did was I, I... And don't tell me you haven't all done this with something. I put it back together, balanced it, thinking the next person who comes, they'll think they've broken it. It was a genius plan. And I got away with it. It was terrific. And no one ever knew. My mum and dad don't know. And, uh, and I think sometimes we go through life kind of thinking, I think I got away with, I think I got away with that. I want you to have a look at um, James chapter 5 with me. Um, let me read from verse 1. James chapter 5 verse 1. James gets quite strong in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And when he says rich people, I don't think he means all rich people are like this. Um, But certainly they were in the church that James was writing to. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. In this last session, I just want to spend a a few minutes looking at this, and then we're going to try and really apply some of what we talked about practically, and then we're going to get into groups and pray about it. Um... Do you see how this starts? Have a look with me at verses 1 to 3. What is it that rich people need to wake up and see, according to James, in verses 1 to 3? Tell me some of the things. Let's be participatory. Right. There is misery coming. What, um, what is the misery? Why is misery coming on them? What is the misery they're going to experience? Right. Here's the misery that's coming on them. The most precious thing in the world to them is going to corrode and rot. 
And the thing that they thought was going to keep them safe, the thing that they pinned all their hope on, is going to end up being eaten, corroding. And that corrosion will testify against them. This is the same as what Jesus said, right? When he said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, right? It's all going to fade. It's all going to... There's, there's a song, a kid's song that says that. It's all going to fade. It's all going to... Something. Rot. And it's all going to fade away. Uh, it's, a, it's a joyful song. And, um, and it actually really irritates our kids because we now, every time something breaks, we go... It's all going to fade. Like, yeah, it's broken. Yeah, it's all going to fade. Great parenting. Um, but here's the reality, right? All the stuff that we think is so exciting is all going to fade. And we've got to get this perspective. We, I know what it's like. Right? I love new stuff. I love getting a new phone. I genuinely do. And it brings me great joy for a short time. But we've got to see it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It, it's so temporary. And we pile ourselves full of it. And actually, if that is at the end of time, if, at the end of history, at the end of our lives, if what we say is, well, I've got a big pile of stuff, the rotting stuff will testify against, this is what John T. Alcock lived his life for. Can you imagine it? Here is a great big pile of broken, rubbish iPhones. All of them rubbish and trashed and smashed. Or whatever it is, whatever it is, the thing that you love so much, the thing that we store up, the thing that we build our lives around. And at the end of time, it stands and it says, this is what he lived. Lord, this is what I spent my life for. This rotten, smashed up piece of junk. Do you not see? That's powerful, right? A perspective on stuff. Now look, God, be careful of this. The Bible in other places says that stuff is okay. It's okay to enjoy things. It's okay to have a nice meal. It's okay to have a nice phone. It's okay. Unless you are hoarding it. Unless you are building your life on it. So the first big thing in these verses, verses 1 to 3, is that your stuff will testify against you. So there's... All your pilot, I just find this such a powerful image. All of my possessions going, this is what he thought was important. Over here. But then, in verses 4 to 6, do you see what else is testifying against you? Rich people. Verses 1 to 3, it's your stuff testifies. Verses 4 to 6, it's all those who you treated wrongly. All those who you abused they will testify against you. In fact, look, it's such strong language. Look, James says to the rich people, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. You think you're so clever because you managed to get some people to work for peanuts. You think you're so clever because they, you managed to persuade them that they were so desperate that they'd take a job and they'd do anything. And you're smug about the fact your profit margin is so high... And all the time, God, these, the, the wages you fail to pay are crying out to God. That's powerful. Crying out to God, the injustice. You know, this is an image, this idea of, of something crying out to God, an image that comes up a lot in the Bible. first place this comes up is when 
The first murder ever happens. Cain kills his brother Abel. So Cain goes out, murders his brother Abel. Abel's dead. God comes to look. He says, Cain, where's your brother? And he says, I don't know. Uh, Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, the blood of your brother cries out to me. I can hear it. It's deafening in my ears, God says. You think you're so clever because you think no one saw you kill your brother. You think you got away with it. And it's deafening to me, God says. It's screaming in my ears. You see it in loads of places. You see it in the book of Jonah. When God comes to Jonah, he says, go preach against Nineveh because the wickedness has come up against me. God sees God saw me when I broke my mum and dad's plate. He was watching, he saw it. And I thought I was so clever. I thought I was so clever as I put it back together again. But injustice is never missed by God. God never fails to see it. Do you know, I think one of the things I found hardest about the Jimmy Savile thing, you know when the Jimmy Savile thing broke? was that he died before any of it came to light. He got away with it. He went to his grave having done all those wicked things, thinking, no one knows. I got away with it. And yet he didn't. Because the injustice is crying out to God. The innocent victims who he abused, it's crying out to God. I don't know how you survive in this world without an understanding that there's a God who will punish the wicked. Justice will be done. Justice is a central theme of the Bible and it is good news that God is just. It's good news. Mary was telling us in in the session in here about the the fire of the workers in Bangladesh and the the people who died and the horrific um, conditions that people have to work in. God sees it. God cares. It's deafening in heaven, the cries of, the, of injustice. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And you are living on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. This is the, this is the lie, right? That I'm getting away with it. We're not. And God is so passionately committed to justice that nothing misses his view. Searching in Romans 2, it says that God will judge men's secrets. He will judge the secrets of our hearts. He's different to the judges in the court. Judges in the court, you don't know. You don't know who's lying. When you're playing your game of Avalon, what are you playing? Resistance. When you were playing your game of resistance, you didn't know that Claire Lloyd was lying. Right? You don't have all the facts. You can't see the secrets, but God knew. God saw the lies. <laughs> so Sarah Cleary, take, take great comfort in that. Where is Sarah? Sarah, there we go. God knew you were innocent. Ah, good. <laughs> Look, on a more serious, <laughs> much more serious note, God, a lot more serious. Um, God, God knows. And, and we spend our lives trying to hide it, right? Can I say to you, this is why the gospel is so important. <laughs> this is why Jesus dying on a cross matters so much. 
Because you're not getting away with your sin. You may think you are, and it may feel like I'm doing this and nothing's happening to me, nothing bad's happening. But you're not getting away with it. It's crying out to God. And let me tell you this, if there isn't a blood that cries out something better than the cries of your sin, then we're in big trouble. But Hebrews 12 says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus cries louder than the blood of our sin. The blood of Jesus cries louder than the workers. And therefore, when we see our sin, when we see our injustice, the place is not to despair. The place is to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, will your blood please cry out forgiveness? This is why... This is why the cross must be at the centre of all that we do. And the cross shows just how committed to righteousness God is. God is so just. He is so righteous. He's so perfect. He's so committed to justice that he would send his son to take the punishment that sin deserves so that he can rightly and justly forgive me. What a saviour. But if that doesn't change how we now think about justice, then we have completely misunderstood completely misunderstood. And therefore these words challenge us to think about this theme of justice. Will we do what is right? If you are ever in a position of employing workers, will you pay them what is right and just? I guess that may not be for many of you. If you are in the position of paying anyone or treating anyone or employing a builder to do something or whatever it is, will you do what is right, not what you think you can get away with? You may find a really clever loophole in the tax that means you can avoid it and dodge it and woohoo, look at me, look how smug I am, I got away with it. Why? God loves justice. We do what is right. We're to be people who are committed to paying what we should pay, who do what is right with our money. And it might mean that we can't live in quite such luxury and self-indulgence, but we do what is right. That's why it's so important that someone like Barry and Trevor have worked so hard on getting our finances in order so that we can show we do what is right. I've got to be honest, there are days when I look at the emails and I just think, I don't care. Who cares? Does it really matter? Yes, it matters. We're to do what's right with our money. And I wonder what it would look like for us to pursue righteousness, to pursue justice in the way that we use our money. Well, I want to, um, having done all this, look at verse 7 then. Here's the big kind of command. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient. Stand firm. Stop grumbling against one another. Stop moaning about who has more money. Stop moaning about, oh, they're better than me and blah, blah, blah. Stop moaning about all that. Be patient. Persevere. Persevere because the Lord's coming is near. He's at the door. He is coming. And on that day, when he comes, everything will be put right. Okay, let's, let's, let's land on this. Um, we've seen these big th- three big themes, okay? We've seen the theme 
um, of trial, of people, and of justice. These, these three big things. What, what, what would it look like? What, what difference is that going to make? Um, we're going to pray about some stuff in, in a minute. But what, what difference would that make? Well, let me suggest that um, I think for most of us, this is an area where we can consider what we're doing. I want to be really clear. We're not setting down a list of rules. We're responding to grace, mercy that's been shown to us. What would it look like for us to be merciful in our money? So let me give you some examples. The New Testament has lots of examples of different ways that that people might choose to give or to be generous. Firstly, there is the being generous and giving um, to to those who are in need. So have you, ever, um, have you ever considered the idea of hearing about a need of someone and thinking, oh, actually, I could help with that? And doing something to give so that you can help them in their need. Someone's car's broken down. You know they can't afford to fix it. You put 100 quid in an envelope and you, uh, in cash, you give it anonymously. They don't know who's given it. And someone from the church receives a gift. You know that sort of thing happens in churches. And the trouble is it never gets seen. It never gets talked about. But that, but that sort of giving is, is part of our family life. Within, within the family. And I want to suggest, let's be on the lookout for those sorts of things. And when you get some money, when you get something unexpected, a tax rebate, does that ever happen? Uh, or, you know, that sort of thing. Or Why not think to yourself, who could I, who could I share this with? Who can I use this to encourage or to bless? Perhaps you think about giving like that. Then I want to suggest so there's, there's giving within the church family, just being a culture of generosity. Oh, and by the way, let me just say, I know I've said this before, but this really, I think this really matters. If someone tries to give something to you, please take it. I think this is one of the things we're worst at in our culture. Someone offers to buy you coffee or someone offers to buy you a meal. Our instinctive reaction is, no, 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 I'll pay, I'll pay, I'll pay. That is because we are arrogantly self-dependent and we don't want to be seen to be needing stuff. If someone offers to buy you dinner, say, oh, thanks very much. And don't say, oh, I'll pay, I'll pay next time. But perhaps you could think, I wonder who I could do this for, I wonder who I could bless. Do you see we need to be better at accepting stuff. <laughs> accepting gifts as, as, as loving things. So there's that. Secondly, I want to suggest that we should be thinking about how we give, kind of use our money more, more broadly. And for some of us, we can be clever about this. Not clever, uh, wrong word. We can be um, wise about this. You know when Jeremy was here this morning, um, what he's done, um, now God has blessed him and given it, put him in a particular position, so he has a particular responsibility. But he hasn't just kind of said, oh, I've got this money, let's just chuck it away. He's thought about ways that it could be used carefully. So what, what he didn't say was that actually there's a number of people who he has done what he's done for me and Linda in terms of their houses. He's enabled a load of gospel workers to live in houses that they wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. But the thing is, once we're done with it, he can then recycle that and use it to do that for someone else. Right? Now that's just 
That's good use. That's that's wise use of money. Um, so it isn't just giving it away, giving away. It may be that it's investing in something or using it. Let's think creatively about what we can do with our money. And while we're on the subject of that, so these are a few random thoughts now just as we finish. While we're on the subject of that, I want to say very clearly, if you are good at making money, then, then do make a lot. You know, Seriously make a lot of money if you're good at it. Some people are, some people aren't. I get it, some people aren't. If you're not, don't worry about it. Just you know, do something useful. But if you, if, you, if you are able, you know, if God has given you a gift of being entrepreneurial or making money, then make it. There's nothing ungodly in the pursuit of making lots of money. There's a lot that's ungodly in the pursuit of making money for yourself, but there's, a, there's nothing ungodly. Now, it's a huge trial. We saw that in the first session, but go after it. Make as much as you can to be used for the kingdom, to be used generously to help those in need and to spread the gospel so think let's think about the way we use our money and thirdly and this is where I want to finish um, it's also right in the New Testament that we give our money to support gospel work that we support the, the preaching of the gospel as it goes out in all, all over the world and that starts in our local church that starts where we are and I promise this wasn't the whole point of the day to get to this point where I say and now we're going to ha- hand around a bucket and you're going to give... No, that's not what we're about. But I don't know how else we talk about money if we don't have a day where we just think about it together. And actually we say, what does it look like for us to give at church? What does it look like for us to give? I have to say that Globe Church is very generous. The members of Globe Church give very generously. And about... Trevor, you'll help me with the exact figure... It's somewhere around £80,000 a year comes from the members of Globe Church. That's a lot of money from a not enormous church. And we should thank God for that and rejoice in that. But it's also true to say that our costs are quite a lot more than that. (laughs) We're still very dependent on people outside, which is great, and that's terrific. But as we grow, we want to be praying that God would help us as a church to be generous, to be giving. And many of you will know this, and most of you will be aware of this. I think setting up a standing order is a terrific way to make sure that we give habitually, if you're able to do that. That's what Jeremy was saying this morning. But the trouble with standing orders is that what we do is we forget. I set up my standing order. Done. So what we've started to do is have a monthly offering. And I want to encourage us to think about how we could use that the first Sunday of the month where we take an offering, we pass around boxes and say perhaps that's an opportunity for us to connect with giving. To say, okay, I'm going to give I'm going to give a little bit more this month because I've had this money come in or I've got this opportunity. Let's think about how we could do it. And I want to encourage us that, um, that there is joy in generosity. There's joy in giving. If you're, uh, if you're interested in finding out more about how you give, or if you never signed a gift aid form, or if you want kind of how to know how to set up a standing order, there's going to be there's some packs around over there, but I'll put them on the table. You can take one of those. It's got all the information in it. Grab that. Feel free to do that. And even if you can only give five pound a month, starting a habit now is a habit that grows and grows and grows. 
Guys, I find it really awkward talking about money. It's hard to talk about money. But we're a church family and we should be able to say this. We should be able to love each other and say, let's keep working at this. Let's keep encouraging each other to be generous. Because God loves his people to be generous. Well, we're going to, um, we're going to finish there and uh, take some time to, to pray about this stuff and to sing and to respond. But justice, um, doing what is right before God, is a beautiful thing. And a thing which he has saved us for. And look, many of us feel guilty. Probably I feel guilty uh, most of the time. And guilt's good if it drives you to Jesus. It's terrible if it drives you away from him. So run to Jesus and ask him to help you. And look, if you don't want to, if you find this really hard, then don't give. Seriously, to give grudgingly is a disaster. So if you don't want to give, this is what you do. You say, Heavenly Father, I don't want to give to you. And I'm sorry about that because that means there must be something wrong in my heart because you are so beautiful. Please, would you change my heart? Please change my heart. That's a good prayer to pray. And ask that he would help you, help us to give. Why don't we pray together? And then uh, we're going to sing. Is that all right? And um, we'll get into groups and pray. Father, we... We thank you that you are a God of justice. And thank you that you see the injustice, and even the injustice that have been done to us, the things that are wrong that have been done to us. And Father, we ask that you would please help us to understand what it means to use our money in a way which is just. Father, please teach us as a church. We thank you for the generosity of so, so many within the church family. Thank you for the generosity of those outside the church. And Father, we pray that we might use our resources wisely, carefully, joyfully to see the kingdom grow and to see people who are in need come to know Jesus and find him to be their Prince of Peace. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.